So did you have a good Valentine's Day last Sunday? <laughs> You're thinking, was that just a week ago, Bill? Yeah, Valentine's Day one week ago. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the day. We weren't able to meet. We were all doing what you all are doing, worshiping online last Sunday. And appreciated uh, those who helped put that together. We're thankful for that as an option. And we're glad that this week, that's not the only option. Uh, but we're grateful for the blessing uh, that that is. And again, as has been said, welcome to all of those who are joining us uh, through our multiple online options. And, uh, and so it's, it's hard to believe that uh, just one week has passed since last Sunday, uh, because this has been quite a week. I hope, as others have shared, uh, that you are doing well and that all of your loved ones are well. Uh, we are in the process in Tyler of having drinking water out of the faucet. We're not there yet. We're still under uh, a requirement of boiling water before consumption, and hopefully that will be uh, uh, remedied uh, tomorrow or perhaps at the latest on, on Tuesday. So be cautious, be careful, be smart, uh, and be safe. When be Also be considerate and check on others that you know might be uh, needing someone to give them some encouragement uh, or help. Uh, one of the things that 2020 has taught us, and now <laughs> so far, January and February 2021 have taught us, is that um, we are not as much in control as we may have thought. And it's okay to learn to be flexible. And things don't always work out the way we anticipate they're going to and the way we expect them to. And that's just the nature of this world. And so uh, I remember when I was going to uh, Ukraine a few years while we were in North Carolina and we worked with summer youth Bible camps, uh, did everything the kids did, ate everything the kids ate. Uh, yes, I said that, that is the truth. And just uh, met together, played together, um, uh, enjoyed life together and tried to share a little bit of the love and word of Christ uh, together with them. And it was a grand experience, but one of the things I learned from that experience is to be flexible because we were there as guests of the country, really, but also as guests of the camp. And so when the camp decided to change the schedule, we just went with it. And that was the way that was. And so that's kind of how we're living these days, isn't it? We're just going to go with whatever that situation is and make the best of it. And so many of you are doing just that, providing for your own self and your family, providing for others as well and checking on them. That's a great, uh, great blessing. And we're thankful for all of you. Um, I like this story that you've probably heard before. Uh, this woman writes, while browsing in a Christian bookstore one day, I discovered a shelf of reduced price items. Among the gifts was a little figurine of a man and woman, their heads lovingly tilted toward one another. Happy 10th anniversary, read the inscription. It appeared to be in perfect condition, yet its tag indicated it was damaged. Examining it more closely, I found another tag underneath that said, wife is coming unglued. <laughs> well, I think we're all coming unglued a bit over the last several months and certainly over the last several days. Uh, and that's okay. Again, that's a part of the human condition, a part of the human experience. And so we help each other uh, during those times uh, when it seems like we're a bit unglued. Um, 
In Romans 5, Paul is going to speak of how Jesus is the demonstration of God's unconditional love. I think as Matt shared with us around the table, you could hear his heart in those words and in his prayers. And I think it goes back to this great fact. God's love is truly unconditional. He will tell us that not only are we justified by Christ's sacrifice and credited with righteousness through him, but we also have life through him. And so that's kind of where we are as we get to Romans 5, having gone through Romans 1 through 4. Because the great book of Romans begins with a strong statement of the power and uh, authority and divinity of Jesus Christ. He was declared with power to be the Son of God through the resurrection, Paul says as he begins this great book. Later on in chapter 1, he says, even to those in Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in the gospel, the power of God is revealed. And he says, in that righteousness of God that is revealed through his power, the statement comes that that righteousness comes by faith, because the just, the righteous, will live by faith. Uh, Then he gets into why that's needed. Because all of the non-Jews are guilty of sin. That's the rest of chapter 1. All of the Jews are guilty of sin. Chapter 2 and part of chapter 3. Because even though they had the law, they didn't obey it. And we come down to chapter 3 and he says, There is none righteous, no, not even one. And God could have left it right there. And God would have been justified. His holiness would be intact. His justice would be intact. But because of God's unconditional love, he sought another way. And we're introduced to that in the middle of chapter 3. As it talks about how this righteousness that comes from God is available by faith to all who believe, whether Jew or non-Jew. And the reason why it's available to all is because all have sinned and come short of God's glory on their own. And so by ourselves, it's true, we are bad, and only God is good, but we are good because God is good, and because he has shared his love, his unconditional love with us. Chapter 4, we read about how that uh, blessing of God's love was something that Abraham trusted in, something that King David trusted in, because just like We are. They were justified by faith. And so as we get to Romans chapter 5 now, we make this great statement that captures several key words in these first few verses of Romans 5. Being justified by faith through the love of Christ, we now have peace with God and hope for eternity. That's a very full statement And yet all of those statements are found in these first few verses of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, again, looking back on the first four chapters, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Other passages such as James 1 and 2 Peter 1 talk about this idea of building character, building perseverance, building hope. And a lot of times that comes, as James especially says, through suffering. And Paul certainly says that here as well. We glory in our sufferings, not because we're masochistic, not because we would wish that on ourselves or anyone else, but because we realize God's purpose can still be fulfilled in spite of our sufferings. And that many times God's purpose is fulfilled actually through our sufferings. Because God sees a bigger picture than just what we're going through right now. And God sees a bigger picture than us. But rather he sees what the things that we go through, how that can help and serve others, not just ourselves. And so we see God's great purposes lived out here. Um, I'm not sure that if I had called you this week and quoted to you uh, some of these verses that we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope, you probably would have hung up the phone on me <laughs> and said, give me, a, give me a couple of hours here, Bill, and I'll get back with you. I just need to to kind of blow off some steam for a moment, and that's okay. Again, that's part of the human condition. In our grander moments, we realize that these words are true. As we're going through it, it's hard. As we're going through it, it's hard. And that is uh, something that uh, we're all going through now because of this coronavirus, because of these winter storms, because of power outages and... uh, water uh, blockages. I remember when we were in Ukraine, uh, I, one of the trips that I made with the church from Arlington is we would have a, a, a teapot always on the stove, boiling water. Because though it, once it cooled, that was the water that we used to drink or to brush our teeth. We had bottled water typically to drink when we could get it. But that's the water that we used to wash our hands, wash our face, brush our teeth, those kinds of things. And, uh, and I, I've thought this week uh, that one of the great blessings of these last several months and certainly the, this last week, these last several days here in Texas, is a greater appreciation for other people in this country, but also around the world, who don't have a lot of the blessings that we have. A lot of the things that have been right at our fingertips, uh, typically, have not been available over the last several days. And it's a good thing for us, perhaps, to go through that every so often. Not often. God, did you hear that? Not often. But sometimes. Because it reminds us of the ones who aren't quite as blessed as we are on a day-by-day routine. And it calls us to be prayerful and helpful for them as well. 
Christians are unique in that we live our lives with peace and hope and joy, even when times are hard. As you've heard me say many times, we don't deny the reality of the hardship. We just accept it and meet it head on and recognize that God's presence is there with us through it and that God is working even in the midst of that hardship. And that's part of the difference. We recognize God will see us through. All of that is because of God's great unconditional love. He loves us. And his love for us is unconditional. And that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be saved no matter what they do or how they act. Whether they respond to Jesus by faith or whether they never believe in him at all. That's not the same thing. To say that God loves us unconditionally, I believe, is a true and biblical statement. It's why Jesus came. And as we're going to see in just a moment, Jesus came not when we were doing good, but when we were at our worst. Why? Because we deserved it? No, because God loved us. Because as Matt said, God is love. And his love for us is absolutely unconditional. He will never stop loving us. He will never stop loving you. Never. Paul contrasts in Romans 5 the spiritual death in Adam that we have with the eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ. He's contrasted Abraham and David, brought them in, And now he turns to the expression of the first human, Adam, and the sin that he introduced. So a couple of things about this. Number one, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He talks about Christ and then talks about Adam. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is unconditional through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's especially seen in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5, beginning at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He uses that argument of how much more. The writer of Hebrews uses that, call the Homer argument, a lot in the book of Hebrews. Comparing if this was true with God, then how much more would this be true? Because if if that's true, then surely this is true. And that's what Paul does here as he is comparing that righteousness that God gives us, that gift of Jesus Christ, with him carrying it out to completion. Seeing us justified and saved and ultimately in 
his presence as reconciled, brought back together with the one who died and now lives for us. It's a great statement that he comes back to in Romans chapter 8 when he says, look, if, if God will give his own son, he will not withhold anything from reaching out to us. And that's exactly right. All of this is based on God's unconditional love. Again, we look up to those verses in verse 6. It was while we were still powerless that Christ died for the ungodly. When we, we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. God created us so that we could be in relationship with him. He said, if you will be in relationship with me, if you will be obedient to me, I will always bless you. And then we disobeyed. And we broke that relationship. And that required God to act. Because we could not. There was nothing we could do. Because we had broken that relationship. We had sinned ourselves. And now we were totally reliant upon God to do something. And the great blessing of the gospel is that God acted. He acted in our behalf. He sent his one and only son, as John 3 shares, as Matt said. He loved us so. Why did my Savior come to earth? Because he loved me so. No, that is the only reason why he did that. Because he would, have just, he would have been just fine not doing that. Better, in fact. Not having gone through everything that he went through here on this earth for us. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Because he loved me so. And that's the only reason. Jesus himself says in John 15 that... There's no greater love that anyone would have than to give his life for someone. And as Paul talks about that here in Romans 5, he says, you know, some people will do that. They will go to such a point that they would give their lives for someone else. But typically, they give their lives for someone who is worth dying for. Very rarely, but sometimes, someone will give their life for a righteous person. Paul says, but here's the thing about Jesus. It's that while we were unrighteous, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us while we were ungodly. What he saw on the cross that day was not me at my best moment, my most faithful moment, brave, courageous, speaking out for him, telling Satan no. He saw me at my worst. And he saw you at your worst. And that's why he gave his life. And that's the true demonstration, verse 8 says, of his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God will never fail nor lose its glory till we see him face to face. Truly God is love. But now Paul contrasts this love of God seen in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ with Adam and the sin and death 
that Adam introduced into the world. Death reigned from the time of Adam. God's eternal love, unconditional love, is seen in Jesus Christ. But death reigned from the time of Adam. The condemnation and death brought into the world through Adam is contrasted with the justification and life which come through Jesus Christ. We have life through Christ. But the reason we had to rely on that is because of the death that sin brings. And Adam brought that sin into the world. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. And so just like he says in Romans chapter 1, look, that sin existed even without the law. And the punishment for sin is death. And so even though there was no law before Moses, there was still responsibility and accountability to God And sin brought death. And so death reigned from Adam to Moses. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass or sin. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And so let's be careful how we apply this because he's making his point that that just as sin and death is universal because we've all sinned, as he said in chapter 3, not because Adam sinned. Sin is a reality because Adam sinned. I am responsible and accountable and guilty before God because I sinned. The prophet Ezekiel makes a big point of that in Ezekiel chapter 18 when he says the soul that sins is the soul that shall die. The parent shall not bear the responsibility of the child, neither shall the child bear the responsibility of the parent, but the soul that sins is the soul that will die. And yet Paul acknowledges that before Adam, sin and death were not a reality in the world. But because that sin was brought in through that one man, because we have all sinned, now that sin and death is universal, but in the same way, The salvation comes through one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Again, if Adam was the only one that had sinned, then then Jesus, I think, still would have come, but he would have come for the sake of Adam. But because there are many trespasses and many sins and not just Adam's, Jesus came to save me. And he came to save you and he did that because of God's universal, unconditional love. Verse 17 again, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. If God is going to make accountable, God is going to bring about salvation. 
Verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And again, these words don't negate everything that's already been said such as the reason that faith is available for all is because all have sinned. Not because Adam sinned, but because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And all are justified freely by the grace of God through the response of faith. It's the point he's been making for five solid chapters. It's the point he will continue to make until he ultimately applies it in our everyday lives, starting in chapter 12. Just as people have free choice through the sacrifice of Christ to individually choose righteousness in life, we each individually have free choice through the fall of Adam to choose sin and death. God will not make us be obedient. He will not make us follow him. We see that in the life of Jesus as we read through the gospels. We're amazed that this son of God who had the power to force obedience and service and worship of him did not do it. He did not. Why? Because God wants relationship with us. He wants us to respond out of gratitude and love. Remember, this is offered to help explain the understanding that the righteousness of God comes only through the gift and grace of God by faith in Christ and not by our own personal attainment through obedience to law. Well, he's hit this subject pretty hard for four chapters. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We've all sinned. Abraham was justified by faith. And it was reckoned, credited to him as righteousness. David was justified by faith. And he even expressed how blessed are all of those whose sins the Lord has forgiven. Adam brought sin and death into the world. And so Jesus Christ was called upon to bring hope and forgiveness and life. And so if we are hearing him right, we may be a bit uncomfortable with Paul's message so far. I don't know if you have felt that way or not. Perhaps you haven't. These words from Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The unconditional love and the unmerited favor or grace of Jesus Christ just keeps piling up and piling up and piling up. Why? Because our sins keep piling up and piling up and piling up. And because of God's unconditional love, he provided a way for us to have the righteousness, not our own, but the righteousness of God that comes through God's grace, through our response of faith. And if we're hearing him right, we're a bit uncomfortable with that. 
Because it really sounds like God's just going to save everybody. It really sounds like nobody deserves God's grace. It really sounds like I can't do anything to bring about my salvation. And here's the truth. I can't do anything to bring about my salvation. That is his message for five whole chapters. And he lays out that argument beautifully to where it cannot be questioned. And I want you to know, Bill, the good Church of Christ preacher, feels a bit uncomfortable with that. (laughs) Because I want to hear what people have to do to be saved. That's what I want to know. I want to know what's required of me. I want to know what commandments I have to obey. But the truth of the gospel is this. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no answer to that question other than none and nothing. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is nothing you can do to respond in faith. You can be baptized every single day the rest of your life, and if the blood of Jesus was not shed for you, it would not matter. It would not matter. I was once asked at about this stage of a study through the book of Romans by a very faithful church member, not here, somewhere else, He asked me this question. This was his literal exact question. He asked, Bill, when are you going to get off this grace kick? When are you going to get off this grace kick? What did he want to hear? I want to hear you telling these people how they're supposed to change their lives. I want to hear you telling people that are wrong how they're wrong and how I'm right. Bill, when are you going to get off this grace kick? And it was one of those, I can honestly tell you, very rare instances (laughs) where I believe the Holy Spirit led me to say these exact words. Well, as soon as Paul does, I will. And the truth is, the truth is, Paul doesn't for a while. He makes this point, this statement of God's unconditional love first. Of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, of how we were dead in our sins, of how we all had sinned and fallen short and needed desperately someone to act in our behalf because we could do nothing, nothing to bring about our forgiveness and our salvation. Bill, when are you going to get off this grace kick? Well, as soon as Paul does, I will. And Paul doesn't for five whole chapters. Now he'll allude to it in the next chapter. So you, like me, will be very relieved to hear that. (laughs) And then he goes right back to it in chapter 7 through 11. And then finally, finally, 
In chapter 12, he begins to talk about, well, here's how you're supposed to live. And see, that's where we want to start. We're a bit uncomfortable hearing about the actions of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God without that added message that says, okay, now here's the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. But the truth is, without that grace of God, without that unconditional love of Christ, we could not do enough good. We could not refuse to do enough evil to matter. That is the gospel. That's why it's such good news, because it's not based on your righteousness. It's not based on your obedience or mine. Because we stand before God as sinners, convicted of death without the blood of Christ. Paul is going to speak strongly about righteousness living later in Romans. And for many of us, we can't wait to get there. (laughs) He'll allude to that in chapter 6, as I said, and really focus on it in chapter 12 through the rest of the book. But before we can hear the call to live obedient lives, we must first of all hear this message. Our righteousness living is the effect of our salvation and not the cause. Please, please hear this. Our righteousness living is the effect of our salvation and not the cause. Our righteousness living does not bring about our salvation. It does not bring about that life for which we hope. It is the result of that. Always in scripture, always in New Testament, it is God acting and blessing us and our responding with a life of faithfulness and trust and obedience. Because if it's based on my obedience, I will have no security ever, no assurance of salvation. Because I'm a sinner. Our righteousness living is the effect of our salvation and not the cause. This is why we can do what our shepherd quoted from in Hebrews chapter 4. This is why we can go before the throne of God with confidence knowing that he will hear us and he will bless us and he will grant us the grace and the love with which we come to him to receive. Why? Because of his unconditional love. The cause is the unconditional love of God seen in the death of Jesus Christ. Before we're ready for the call to obedience, which he will hit very strongly in the book of Romans. We must first hear the message that, like Abraham, we were credited with righteousness when we did not deserve or earn it. We must first be able to realize and experience, like David did, the incredible blessing it is to have your sins forgiven. We must first be able to comprehend that though sin and death were introduced to this world through Adam, forgiveness and life have been given to us through Jesus Christ. Only then will we be able to hear the call to live faithfully to our God and our Savior through our righteousness living only then. Only through Christ 
Only through God's unconditional love will we be able to obey that call. This morning, if we can help you come to this God who loves you unconditionally, we'd love to do that. Come as we stand and sing our song together. Uh...